everyone, welcome to Fapecast. I'm your host, Garage Gatings, here with Timothy and Raphael. And we're here with special guest, Kent Hovind. And we're today's topic is going to be on evolution and how the Bible disproves it. But before we get off, let's go off to prayer first. God, thank you for letting us all get together today. Allow us to have a fruitful discussion. Allow us to glorify you all that we do. Allow us to touch the hearts of many people. And allow us to just spend personal time with you. Allow us to grow more in you each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, my first question to you, Ken Hall, is what is evolution? According to, like, what we're taught in school and such. I assume that question's for me. This is the whole problem, is defining this word evolution. Atheists go nuts when you do this, but uh, if, I, if I said, let's define the word love, what does love mean? Well, there's lots of different kinds of love. I love pizza, I love my wife, I love God, I love my country. Those are different kinds of love. Everybody knows that. Uh, and there's different kinds of, of, of or meanings to the word evolution. There are at least six of them. There's cosmic evolution, the origin of time, space, matter. There's chemical evolution, the origin of all the 92 elements. They would have to come from hydrogen gas, according to the current theory. Then there's a, a stellar evolution where stars form. Nobody's ever seen a star form, but they believe they did. Then there'd have to be somewhere along the line, life has to start. And so they call that organic evolution, where life gets started. And then number five is what's called macro evolution where an animal changes into a different kind of animal, and nobody's ever seen that happen. And then microevolution is where there are variations within the same kind, like dogs and wolves and coyotes being related. That's considered microevolution, or the 8,600 recognized species of birds, you know, might've come from only 30 or 40 on Noah's Ark, but that's still a bird. It's a variation within the same kind. So if you define the word evolution to mean uh, everything above variation within the kind, then it doesn't happen at all. God said they would always bring forth after their kind, and that's all that's ever been observed, ever. Everything else is religion, okay? Yeah, because I know like some people say, like, evolution, like we were based off, it's like we start off on fish, then we grew into monkeys and stuff. Um, how do you think that, like, that idea came about, and why you think, like, it's implemented in schools and such as truth? Well, there's only two choices. There is a God or there isn't. Nobody's thought of a third option. If there's a God, then maybe there are some rules, you know, like thou shalt not. And they don't like those rules. So rather than submit to God's rules, like the Ten Commandments, etc., they just simply deny his existence. And if you're going to deny there's a God, then you have to have an explanation. Well, how did the world get here? You know, we're, we're in a pretty complicated planet here with complicated life forms in a complicated solar system. And so how did this happen? And they have to have an explanation. And the pseudo scientific explanation for that is, oh, well, evolution, which is absolutely silly, dumb, stupid, I think. Probably the dumbest idea in the history of the world is this evolution theory. Um, Mr. Hovind, I have a question for you. Um, is the Big Bang Theory compatible or non-compatible with Christianity and why? completely non-compatible for multiple reasons. The Bible says very clearly that God created everything in six days. That's part of the Ten Commandments. You know, he made the, uh, he said, I want you to honor the Sabbath because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in the midst. So it couldn't be more clear in Exodus 20, 11 and 
uh, first uh, Exodus 31, 17, that God made everything in six days. Secondly, we see clearly the Bible says that man brought death into the world. Um, nothing died until man sinned. Whereas evolution theory or Big Bang theory would say, well, yeah, lots of stuff died before man got here. And the Bible clearly teaches in Genesis chapter five that God made the uh, earth on day one. He made the atmosphere on day two. He made the plants on day three. Then he made the stars on day four. Big Bang theory is exactly the opposite as the stars coming first. No, it is not compatible with the Bible. Somebody is seriously wrong and I really enjoy showing them who they are. I've had 179 debates now on the topic of creation versus evolution. They're on, many of them are on drdino.com, our website, or they can watch our YouTube channel, Kent Hovind Official, or they can call our office and get them on videotape or DVD. Uh, I'm a little old school here, videotape. That's 855-BIG-DINO. But yeah, no, Big Bang Theory does not match Christianity at all. Great, because I've, I've, I've met many Christians who try to apply, you know, Big Bang Theory when evangelizing the atheists, for example, to kind of match their worldview and make them a little more comfortable when they're discussing God. So I'm glad you kind of cleared that up for me. And it's like pretty yeah, Jesus, Jesus dealt with quite a few false religions in his day, and he didn't try to compromise them with, with them at all. None of the prophets in the Bible did. You simply preach the truth as is, and if they don't take it, oh well. Uh, you know, that's just the way it is. It's pretty crazy to think, like, we all, everything came from nothing, like, um, the Big Bang Theory, like what start, like if you claim to believe in that, what started the Big Bang Theory, and how can it create like such such complex creatures or like a such complex universe and such like all that doesn't really add up to me. But my next, my next. Well, you can ask the folks in Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Big Bangs produce big messes. There's never been an example mm. where Big Bang produces anything that's ordered. It's, it's absolutely insane to believe such a thing. Yeah, that I makes a uh, that makes a lot of sense because of like explosions and stuff like that. They do create messes. Um, right. I guess a question that I would have though is not regarding the creation of the world, because obviously, if if we read the Bible, we see that the world and everything that is was created. But the event of of the Big Bang. Was it like an event where, because time, space, and matter obviously had to come in existence at the exact same time, because you can't have one without the other. Um, so even the Bible says this, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, was that a precursor referring to the, the creation of time, spent, uh, space, and matter? Or that was that just referring to the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters? and then letting all of that create. Cause that's something that I was very confused about. I know that Genesis one goes over creation and then Genesis two goes into detail of what happens on the sixth day. So it's a little bit confusing. Little bit confusing. Well, it, the big bang was not an event. It didn't happen. There's no, there's no yeah. big bang to try yeah. to justify. It didn't happen at all. There, there is no big bang. Uh, we see stars moving away, maybe. The evidence for that is reasonable. So let's say the stars are moving away from the planet, from planet earth and giving a red shift. Okay, what would that prove? Well, to the evolutionist, that proves Big Bang. Well, they all started at one spot. But the Bible, 17 times, the Bible says God stretched out the heavens. Okay, well, if he made the earth first and then made the stars on day four, like the Bible says, he started stretching them out into place for reasons known only to him. And then on day six, he made Adam and Eve. So they would see the taillights of the stars as they're being stretched out into place. 
So the stars could indeed be billions of light years away. That's not a question. I don't, I don't, we don't know how far away they are. Well, let's say they are. Okay, well then, if they're billions of light years away, that still doesn't prove they're billions of years old. A light year has nothing to do with, it's a distance, it's not a time. It's the distance light travels in a year. If I could say, what's a, what's a Hovind minute? How far can Hovind run in a minute? Well, not as far as it used to be, but anyway, that would be a distance, <laughs> not a time. Okay. Yeah, so I guess my Oh, sorry, did you have a question, Raphael? Oh, I was just going to ask him about, you know, this topic that we've had amongst each, each other for the past, like, two days, I believe it is, on the, you know, in regards to the shape of the world we live in and whether oh, no. which is more compatible with Raphael, no no it's it's a very in, you know important question to ask so that he can clear up so that he can clear up clear it yeah, up yeah it's a hot clear topic it, it surprises me that it's a hot topic but yes there are many flat earthers out there i've had discussions with many of them i think it's ridiculous i think i think they have a right spirit they're trying with it to defend what they think the bible teaches and i do appreciate that attitude you know defend the scriptures but it is, it, the scriptures do not teach that. And when I point out, the Bible says God sits on the circle of the earth. They say, aha, circles are flat. And I say, well, I taught geometry for 15 years. I can assure you circles do not exist at all. There's no such thing as a circle except in your imagination. I mean, I taught geometry for years. I can describe lots of things about a circle to you if you'd like. But theoretically, if you draw it with a pen, pencil or pen, the thickness of your pen or pencil lead has now turned it into a cylinder. It has some depth to it. So a circle can only exist in the imagination. It has zero depth, two dimensions. So when God said he sits on the circle of the earth, obviously it's not talking about a, a non-existent circle. It's talking about a sphere or a ball. From any point on the earth, you can draw an infinite number of circles through that point. The north-south ones are called you know, lati- or longitude lines, and the east-west ones are called latitude lines, but they don't have to go east-west or north-south. There's any number of degrees on the compass between that. You could draw an infinite number of circles through Linux, Alabama. So when God sits on the circle of the earth, that's exactly correct. There's overwhelming scientific evidence that the earth is indeed a ball and is spinning and is moving through space around the sun, heliocentric, not geocentric, overwhelming evidence. And I, I do, like I said, I do appreciate their, their desire to defend what they think the scriptures teach, but they are just simply wrong and they're making a fool out of Christians. Also, I have, I have one more question in relation to that so that there's no confusion. When people bring this up and I can, you know, uh, basically when it, the biggest argument I hear them bring up is in the context of they bring up the verse about the firmament uh, separating the waters. A lot of them hold the belief that we have a firmament and then waters uh, above it and that it makes more sex and, uh, sense in the context of uh, the floodgates, etc. How would you respond to this so that, you know, they can see how, you know, kind of ludicrous it sounds or Okay, I covered that on my video number two of my creation seminar series. I have a series of videos 18 hours long. You can get the whole thing for 50 bucks at drdino.com. But the earth is a ball. Right now it's surrounded by air about 50 miles thick. The air is held to the ball by gravity. Just like a magnet can hold iron shavings, you know, coming north, south, east, or west. It doesn't matter. Up, down, doesn't matter. The magnetic field will hold iron shavings uh, downhill uh, to the earth, toward the earth. So the Earth's gravity pulls the atmosphere toward the center of the Earth. It's about 8,000 miles in diameter, 7926 for you technical folks. But above that layer of air, there used to be a layer of ice. The Hebrews have always taught it was about two fingers thick. 
two, some people say it was three fingers thick. Okay, I'm sure they argued and start the Church of the Two Fingers and the Church of the Three Fingers. But either way, <laughs> there was a couple of layers, a couple of inches of ice above the atmosphere. That was the canopy that surrounded the Earth. And it can do that on a ball, just like it can do it on a, on a like a greenhouse on a flat plane too. We have a dome-shaped greenhouse here at our Dinosaur Adventure Land in Lenox, Alabama. But the Earth as a ball had a layer of air around it, about 50 miles thick right now. Before the flood came, that was probably squeezed down into maybe 10 miles and with a crystalline canopy above it. And the Bible talks about the waters that be above the, the firmament, Genesis 1, 6 and 7. And in Genesis 1, 20, it tells us the birds fly in the firmament. So there it settles the question that the firmament is the air where the birds fly. There also is probably a second layer of ice way out there past the stars. There's only one reference to that I'm aware of. That's Psalms chapter uh, uh, 128, Psalm, Psalm 144, Psalm 148, there it is, Psalm 148. Uh, King David wrote and said, praise him, ye waters that be above the heavens. There are three heavens mentioned in the Bible. The first heavens where the birds fly, the second heavens where the stars are, and the third heaven is where God lives. Second Corinthians 12, Paul said he was caught up to the third heaven. There's only a few references to it, but apparently there's another layer of ice way out there beyond all the stars. Everybody asks, you know, how, where's, where's the last star at? And if they could find the last star, the obvious question is what's after that? <laughs> and then what's beyond that? So I, I just suspect that the whole thing that we see as this beautiful solar system and, and all the stars is probably one of those glass balls on God's dresser. And you pick up and shake once in a while and make the stuff rattle around inside. So I think there was a layer of ice above the atmosphere. That one broke at the time of the flood and fell down. Probably got drawn into the north and south pole because of the Earth's magnetic field. And super cold ice is magnetic. And outer space is super cold, negative 456 Fahrenheit, or 3 degrees Kelvin, or minus 170 centigrade. So at that temperature, the ice up there, the, the two, or two or three inch thick layer of ice, would be super cold and would be magnetic and could actually be held in place by the magnetic field of the earth then when it shattered when the fountains of the deep broke open i think stuff shot up and shattered it it uh, would tend to be sucked into the north and south pole and dumped on the poles very rapidly so they would get a very rapid dump of, of super cold ice on the poles i think that's one good explanation of the ice age where it came from and the freezing of the mammoth standing up and the glacier effects you know this ice rushing out from the poles you just keep dumping snow in one pile, it'll start pushing out to all the sides. So if the ice was dumped on the magnetic north pole because of the um, uh, canopy cracking up, you know, a couple inches of ice surrounding the whole planet would make quite a pile of ice on the north and south pole. Now, instead of a couple inches thick, it's now hundreds of feet thick, just because it's more concentrated in one spot. So I covered that on video six, the Hoven theory about the ice age and what froze the mammoths standing up, food still in their mouth, still in their stomach, undigested. Uh, very interesting theory that probably the flood did that at the time of, of, of Noah. So the ice that used to be above the earth, the canopy, is no longer there. It's gone. But the second one beyond the stars is probably still there. I couldn't prove it to anybody. That's just my theory. Okay. Oh, thank, thanks for the insight on that because I, I used to hear that a lot. So that gave me a great deal of clarity on that, that, that uh, subject. Yeah, so back on the subject of, of evolution, my question my question is to you is how can we disprove evolution with the Bible? Well, there's quite a few <coughs> excuse me. Um, 
Exodus 20, 11 in the Ten Commandments, as God said to the children of Israel, I want you to keep the Sabbath because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in the midst. Well, that disproves evolution theory. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 4 and in Mark 10, 6 that the creation of Adam was the beginning. Well, that disproves the evolution theory. Uh, Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 both tell us that man brought death into the world. Well, death brought man into the world according to evolution. So those verses disprove the evolution. I think scripturally it's very easy to disprove the evolution theory. The Bible certainly does not teach any such nonsense. Then you go to the scientific side of it and say, hold it. No farmer in the history of the world has ever seen any animal produce anything other than its kind. Dogs produce dogs, cats produce cats, you plant corn, you get corn. There are no exceptions in recorded history. Every farmer all around the planet for the last four or 5,000 years will tell you that's the way it works. So if somebody wishes to believe otherwise, that's fine, but it's not science. There is no scientific evidence for any animal ever having produced a different kind of animal. They can believe that if they want, but that's not science, it's a religion. And certainly no fossils would count as evidence that some animal changed. When you find fossils in the ground, all you know is it died. You can't prove it had any children, and you sure can't prove it had different children. And I say, why would anybody with half a brain and one eye think a bone in the dirt could do something that no animal today can do, which is produce something other than its kind? Today, cows produce cows. Why would you think a bone in the dirt could do something other than that? That's a religion. I think it's a dumb religion, but it's nothing but a religion, okay? That's actually a really good point that you bring up because I find that, you know, to schools and, and what they teach us and all that, it kind of teaches us to ignore our senses. But if we were like a little more connected to our senses with things like that, we'd come to that conclusion ourselves, but we'd go off of textbook material that we've been taught since we were young. So thank you for uh, clearing that up also, because that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I remember mm -hmm. one person said to me before, like it takes a lot of faith to be an atheist, I guess that's true because it takes a lot of faith to believe that we came from nothing and that you don't know where you're gonna go where you're gonna go when you die like i don't know like what are your thoughts on that real quick well i think that this universe the whole world everything is so complicated it's just quite obvious there has to be a designer i mean if you're walking through the woods and you find an arrowhead you know right away somebody made this it's made of natural components, it's nothing but rock, but it, it's, it's different than just all the rest of the rocks around here. It's been shaped for a particular purpose. And you and I are made out of 92 elements, just like everything else on the planet, but there's, it's obviously designed, you know? So the question would be, if there's, if there's a God who designed this universe and this world and these people, why did he do it? What's the purpose? Everything I've ever built, I had a purpose for it. You know, you build a house so you can live in it and keep the rain off your head. You know, you build a table so you can sit at it and eat. So I think God designed the world and he did it with a purpose in mind. Uh, and it's, it's logical that if God would design the world and, and if there's going to be any rules he wants us to live by, then he should tell us those rules. Write them down in a book, not, not audio. That won't do any good. It's got to be written uh, and then preserve them. If your city passes a law that says the speed limit's 40 on Main Street from now on, they're required to publish the law, secondly, to post it, put a sign up, and thirdly, to preserve it. So I think God is obligated to publish his law. What, what are we going to be judged by? Secondly, he's going to post it someplace. And I happen to believe he, he preserved it in the King James Bible. That's been my 
long time study on that topic and I'll defend that against anybody. And then it's his job to make sure it's preserved. And so when people try to corrupt it, it's, it's there's always the word of God has always been here someplace. So it's published, posted and preserved. And that's what we're going to be judged by. And that's kind of a duty of any any. Uh, if you're going to be judged, you have to know what you're judged for. Uh, that, so if God's going to judge man for sin, he has to tell us okay, exactly what is sin. What don't you like, God? Tell us what you want. We have to know and write it down for us, please. And he did in the book. Okay. Um, Mr. Hovind, I wanted to know whether we could evangelize to atheists with the 12 Akinas or the 12 proofs. And how would you recommend doing that or whether we shouldn't at all and we should try to evangelize to atheists or agnostics in another way that that can prove God through scripture? Hmm, I'm not familiar with the 12 points you're talking about, but I evangelize atheists and agnostics all the time uh, just by presenting the truth. I think most of them are down deep in their heart. They know their whole theory is stupid. This is dumb. You know, they know that. But they, some of them cling to it very strongly because they realize if they admit there's a God, their whole lifestyle crumbles. Uh, because some of those rules that God they know is going to put down on them, they don't like keeping those rules. So uh, it's more of a moral problem. There's no scientific reason to reject God, none. But there's a lot of moral reasons to reject God and his authority. So I don't, I'm not familiar with what 12 things you're, you're talking about, but well, hey, whatever works, go get them. You know, get, get somebody saved. <laughs> okay. I don't care if you put out a fire with a fire hose or a bucket. Just put the fire out. Because, you know, I've, you know, in the past, I've subscribed to like almost every like religion and belief system under the sun before I, you know, I became Christian. And even then, I never made like the rash claim that, you know, God doesn't exist or whatever. Because if you, if you don't know, if you're a whole thing is like not having blind faith and I don't understand how atheists can have so much faith in the fact that in saying that God doesn't exist because whenever I ask they sound so sure that he doesn't exist as in there's no doubt in their mind that he doesn't well I had one atheist tell me that one time I've had 179 debates now he said there's no God I said are you sure he said oh yeah I'm sure there's no God I said well let me ask you a question I said do you know everything he said, well, no. I said, okay, do you know maybe half of everything? He said, well, no. I said, okay, well, let's pretend just for a couple minutes here that you know half of everything. Would it be possible for God to exist in the other half you don't know? And he had a real puzzled look <laughs> on his face. It was, it, it was almost, as, almost as if he were thinking, but not quite. <laughs> That's such a good one. Oh, I, I've got to use that. Because a lot of people don't seem to understand that, you know, our our thought processes and how we rationalize the world around us is is through a very you know limited uh, you know spectrum. So basically, you know, they, like you said, that God could be outside of our fathoming. You know what I mean? Like in 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 the sense that in the way that He exists could be outside of our fath our current fathoming. Well, there are all kinds of things that do exist that we can't see. How many radio signals are going through your room right now where you are? If, if you had a the lot. equipment, could you a lot. Yeah, could you sit with one piece of equipment like a radio and turn the dial and pick up, you know, several dozen or maybe a hundred or so radio stations? So all those radio signals are going through your room right now. You're just not aware of them until you get the right equipment to transfer it to sound waves. 
how many x-rays from the sun and stars are going through your room right now that you're completely unaware of. Now, the fact that you can't see it, see it, feel it, taste it, or touch it doesn't mean it's not real, doesn't exist. That's, that's silly logic. So they say, I can't see God, and therefore he doesn't exist. Well, then you're, you're a moron for believing such a thing, in my humble, totally unbiased opinion. Okay, so is there any other last question before we end off? I have, uh, I have one in particular. Okay. So it's pretty funny because I've seen a lot of your videos and this past, uh, this past school year, I was in my science class and my teacher was teaching us uh, on the topic of evolution and she was talking about the stalagmites. And it just so happened that like a couple of days before, I've actually watched one of your videos upon that. And I told her the problems with it that, yeah, a lot of stalagmites are formed in the people's, you know, kitchen sinks or in, uh, you know, pipes are, get busted all the time and stuff like that. And they grow very, very long and, and, and thick. And I explained this to her. And all she told me was, well, we got to understand what's what's real science and, and fake science. And when I heard that, I was just like, wait, what? Like, it was the most weirdest thing. Everything that you mentioned in your videos, she spoke about uh, during this class. So my question was, is that because I have other Christian friends in my school, it's, it's just more of a thing like, how do we talk to these things about our teachers without, you know, feeling scared or anything like that? Because sometimes I get nervous to talk about the truth, but when God tells you to do something, you better do it or else uh, it's, it's probably not going to be good for you. But for like my friends that don't know, you know, I try to explain this stuff to them and I guess they kind of have a hard time. So it's like, what would you say to Christians that are going into school and being indoctrinated, know that they're getting indoctrinated, but don't know like what to do? Well, you know the truth and the truth will set you free. I was a sophomore in high school when I got saved and my biology teacher did everything she could do to get us to believe in evolution. Uh, that was in the middle of that same year I got saved, taking biology in high school. So it was quite a conflict. I know Daniel decided he's gonna live for God in the middle of pagan Babylon. There were probably 10,000 young men taken captive to Babylon and only three didn't bow when it's, they said bow down. And, you know, so sometimes you're in the minority and nobody else, nobody else wants to serve God. I'm fully aware of that. Um, so it just may, I don't know that there's a simple solution, but our job is to preach the truth. Whether they listen or not is on them. You know, Jonah went to Nineveh and preached and they listened and he got mad that they listened because he wanted them to die and go to hell. Uh, <laughs> Jeremiah, Jeremiah preached and they didn't listen and they beat him up, you know, and threw him in a well. So the, you can read the Old Testament, the prophets, most of them suffered terribly just for simply preaching the message God told them to preach. So what just happened to Jesus? He's out preaching one time and they pushed him to the edge of a cliff. We're going to throw him off the cliff. And finally, they did crucify him. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 11. Well, read the next chapter. The Pharisees who hated Jesus plotted how they could kill Lazarus because people were coming to Christ because of him. You talk about blinded idiots. Here's a guy rose from the dead after three days and now you want to kill him again because people are turning away from your religion. Well, maybe it's time to examine your religion. Maybe you got the wrong one. Like these evolutionists, you know, they get angry at me. I get death threats. Well, how about examine your religion, guys? It's not true and it's nothing but a religion. I don't care if they believe it, but they certainly shouldn't teach it in public school at taxpayer expense. That's where it becomes, I think, against the law. Uh, I, I have a question in regards to paganism. 
how should we respond to pagans who claim that their god can exist at the same time as our god and that Christians are just having, for what they say, a narrow mind, uh, narrow-minded viewpoint that you know their God and their beliefs can exist at the same time. Basically, like how do how do we respond to polytheistic individuals who, and even and even Christians who are semi-polytheistic? Because I've I found a lot of quote-unquote Christians subscribe to things like astrology, and you know, I don't know, just just different things like that, crystals, different things that they shouldn't be. You know, subscribe uh, subscribing to thinking that those ideas and 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 things can coexist with Christianity. How should you respond to that? Well, I think by definition there can only be one God. Uh, if there's two gods, you got a wrong meaning of the word. Uh, the God would mean have to be singular. Everybody else would be an assistant or a lower God, but you can't have polytheistic. I think that whole concept is is, is self defeating. It can't be more than one God. Plus, here you got the Bible claiming to be the Word of God. Well, that makes it very easy. Find a mistake in it. And so far, you know, the Bible is the anvil that has worn out many hammers. A lot of people have been beaten on that, trying to find a mistake. And I'm not aware of any. I've been reading it for 50 years. Uh, I've, I've seen all those that they claim are mistakes, easy to answer. So, yeah, it's. It, I don't think you find any other book, of paganism especially, or religion, that changes lives in the way that the Bible does. It's not changing them by force like communism does. The Bible changes them uh, by some kind of internal change. I tell people it's like planting a seed. You know, if you lay an apple seed on the table here, it'll never grow. It'll sit there for years, it won't grow. But if you take it out and put it in the dirt, now it can grow, it can do its thing. And something magic happens when the seed gets in the dirt. And the dirt is 100% stupid. Dirt knows absolutely nothing. The seed knows how to make the tree, not the dirt. But the seed can't do its job if the dirt won't receive it. And Jesus is like the seed and we're like the dirt. We just let him come in and he starts making a whole new person inside of us. And I think you can find literally millions, probably tens of millions who would testify, Jesus changed them. I don't think you'll find that with paganism or any other religion. You know, the Muslims change people's lives by force. If you don't do what we say, then we're going to kill you. Or communists change people's lives by force. But that's not that's not Christianity. Very, very different. Okay. I have one more question, uh, and this is in, in regards to, uh, I guess, one of the other denominations of Christianity, such as maybe like the Pentecostals and stuff. What do you think, you know, their belief on the fact that they can speak in tongues and and make people come back to life and to complete all these miracles and 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 you know exercise demons out of people and make holy water and anoint their places and all this stuff what do you what do you think uh, is up with all that do you think that their you know miracles and all that stuff uh, has validity because I, I don't know like I may be the anointing but uh, the rest of it kind of seems like like magician like mumbo jumbo you know to me I don't know to me I don't know well, God can do anything he wants. He can perform miracles. He can raise the dead. He can do any of that stuff. But I think all that stuff for the New Testament church ceased after the first generation apostles. Here's why. When God told Moses to go get Pharaoh, uh, tell Pharaoh to let the people go, Pharaoh, he said, Pharaoh ain't going to want to do that. He's got free slave labor, you know, probably two million Jews. And so God said, I'm going to give you a sign. Stick your hand in your coat. When you pull it out, it'll be leprosy. 
and then put it back, it'll come out and be normal. Or drop this stick, it turns into a snake. Okay, well, after, after they got out of Egypt, uh, then those signs ceased. He could lay the stick down at night and it would not turn to a snake, and he could scratch his chest and it would not become leprosy. So the signs were for a particular purpose to get him out of Egypt, and it worked. <clears throat> God gave the New Testament church seven signs, speak with tongues, heal the sick, raise the dead, etc. Pick up snakes, they won't hurt you, get bit by a snake, drink deadly poison, it won't hurt you. Uh, and those signs, I think, ceased after the New Testament was finished, and they're not for today, my humble opinion. I do find it interesting that the, the two that are the easiest to fake, speaking in tongues, and healing the sick. I mean, you can have somebody pretend like they're sick, hobble down the aisle with the crutches or a wheelchair, and you pour holy water on them and they jump up and run out, yay, hallelujah, I'm healed. And you, then you pay them $100 for doing that. <clears throat> that. That's easy to fake. Why don't they raise the dead? You mentioned raising the dead. I'm not aware if anybody's ever done that. I'd like to see that documented. There are some third world countries where when people you know, go into disease comas or something, they, are, they don't embalm them, of course, and don't, uh, they don't have tests for sure that they're dead. And so people pray over them, and some of those people can come back in third world countries from some kind of disease. But I, I'm, not, I'm not aware of anybody that's been documented medically where they did indeed come back from the dead um, because of some charismatic person praying over them. I think most of it, what I've seen in my 50 years, is uh, it's an ego trip. <clears throat> they want to walk down the aisle, pray for 20 minutes, jibber-jabber in tongues, and they now think they are better than all the other Christians that have been reading their Bible for 50 years. <clears throat> it's a shortcut to spirituality. I've also observed in my 50 years that mm, there's a much higher dropout rate in those type of churches. Much higher Christians, they, they, they realize after a while this is fake and they quit. I think it's right. sad, but I think it's right. a pretty high dropout rate. It's like a wrestling match. They observe and they're like, huh, this is kind of strange. You know, I kind of hold a similar belief in, in context of like Catholicism also with the Eucharist and how they quite literally think they're consuming the body of Christ and all these other things like you know I, I realize that yeah you know they have may have good intentions but it's kind of almost like I don't know borderline like like I don't know kind of like resembling pag like paganism a little more than Christianity at that point because they're believing they can do these things by them by themselves and especially in those Pentecostal churches I hear more of the pastor's motivational speaking more, it seems, than in scripture. It's like a performance. Well, I would say the Catholics are certainly in the category. There's only two religions in the world. Uh, that's Cain and Abel. Cain brought his fruit and vegetables and said, hey, God, look what I did for you. And God would not take it. He tried to please God with his works, which is exactly what the Catholics are doing. Abel brought a sacrifice, an innocent lamb, and said, God, would you take this in my place? And God accepted that. And that's a great lesson that most churches can be put into one of those two categories. You know, how do you go to heaven? Is it by your works or by what Jesus did on the cross, his finished work, and you believe? And so I think I could agree with the Catholics on quite a few things theologically. I think we agree on the Trinity. I think we agree on the virgin birth. I think we could agree on many things. But there are some critical differences that I, I, I just, I could never be one of those. They believe some things that I think are flat crazy, certainly not scripture. And so I, I just have to disagree on that. Hey, Jiraja, you know exactly what I'm about to ask about. What do you what? think about those who uh, basically reject the Trinity in favor for oh, this no. this new oh, viewpoint no. of 
how they they can rationalize God called oneness, as in they believe that we should the Trinity in here. The Trinity isn't, you know, they they think the Trinity is basically bunk and that it's just oneness all the way that they're all the same. Like, what do you think about that? Because I I, I, I personally I, I personally my radars go off when I hear that. I guess I'd have to see exactly what they mean by that oneness doctrine. We do see in 1 John 5, uh, 7 in a King James Bible that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are, are all one. We see clearly in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later we see in verse 14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, obviously Jesus Christ. So uh, in Acts 20, 28, it says God purchased the church with his own blood. So I think it's certainly true that there is only one God, but he has chosen to reveal himself and three different ways to us, Father, Son, and Spirit. I don't. I talked on that on my YouTube channel a couple of weeks ago, um, Kent Hovind Official. You can go back and look at that. I don't think anybody understands the Trinity. Uh, my mind, I only have one brain, but it really has three different things going on at the same time. I can think about things. I can also think about what I'm thinking about and pass judgment on it and say that was a bad thought or that was a good thought. At the same time, my brain is running subconscious functions like body temperature, posture, breathing, healing uh, that I have no control over. So how can one brain have three different parts? Well, it does. You know, an apple has three parts, the skin, the core, and the uh, 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 pulp. So I think there's a lot of illustrations. They probably all fall short at some point, but they help us try to get close to the idea uh, of, of a trinity. So I'd like to see exactly what the oneness people believe. I'm not, I don't think I've studied that to know what exactly are they saying and how does it match with scripture? But no, there is, God, there's one God, but it's three distinct personalities. God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All right. Well, All right. I, have, I have one more question for him. Uh, do you have any message for uh, today's youth, you know, men and women, on how they should be treating each other, respecting each other, or just overall how we should be uh, carrying ourselves and how not to fall into the new ways or new belief systems of of the world do you have any advice or or you know words of wisdom and because you've you know you've obviously been alive way longer than we have on you know stuff that could help us out living in this modern age of what i like to call like the the dawn of degeneracy <laughs> it's it's pretty bad it was bad when i was a teenager in 1969 when i got saved it's 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 probably worse now but you can live for God anywhere like Daniel did it in Babylon so did Shadrach Meshach Abednego you can live for God anywhere it gets harder in some places I understand but I would encourage you to stay in the word read the word as a young Christian at age 16 I got the Bible on record and I could I 16 rpm and I learned I could hear it and follow it at 33 rpm so I could read the whole Bible in about 40 hours and then I learned I could listen to it at you know, higher speed, 45 RPM. And I could read the whole Bible in about you know, 30 hours, 25 hours. And so you don't catch all the details, but you sure get a fly, you know, fly by view of it, and it was great. I would encourage you to read the Bible, read it, read it. Most Christians have never read it once. It's sad, you know, they hear sermons about verses scattered here and there, but just read the book for yourself and then pray and keep your heart right with God. First John chapter one, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Read the word and keep your life clean and your heart clean. And you know, frequently throughout the day, you got to say, okay, Lord, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Cleanse me. Um, you only need one bath 
then you know you only get born once but then you need many baths after that you get born again by receiving christ but there'll be thousands of times throughout your life where you need to say lord cleanse me david in psalm 50 uh 53 51 51 he said you know search me O god and cleanse me uh, purge me with hyssop well hyssop is a little weed that grows over there and they actually use it for a scrub brush it's a little bitty tiny weed that grows and it's stiff as nails and they use it to scrub their pots and pans hyssop so when david said purge me with hyssop i think he's saying lord i want to be clean scrub me out but that's going to hurt and sometimes getting clean does hurt but no read the word and soak your brain in that book shut off the video games read the bible that'd be my advice for young people today do you urge us to um uh you know how, how what's the, i don't i forget the word for it but basically i'm i you know i'm i'm 18 but i'm i'm a virgin by choice do you do you urge like our youth our generation to value our virginity and and, and save it for our, our wife or husband uh, despite you know all the stuff going on that tells us that it's not that that serious and that the virginity doesn't really hold as much value what what would you say to you know help help us out in regards to those decisions i i was a virgin on my honeymoon i think it's essential uh, when i was working at general motors before i was married all the guys were coming around talking about all the women they've had trying to talk to me about you know going downtown detroit we have some pontiac one they said we'll buy you some tonight i said no i've waited 20 years i can wait you know three more weeks and i found out that most of the people that don't uh maintain their virginity till marriage end up with problems in their marriage uh it's just the it lessens things i mean sex is not the end of the world but it's an important part of marriage but it is just a part and i think it's essential to do it plus you got not only to please yourself and your and your wife but also to please god that was his commandments if you're not married don't touch them and you know matthew 5 28 and there's all kinds of verses in the bible you know it's good for man not to touch a woman first corinthians uh, talks about that in chapter four five six seven so yeah please maintain your virginity till marriage and live happily with the, with the rejoice with the wife of thy youth there's all kinds of proverbs about that i definitely think you're wiser to do that now it's not the end of the world if you messed up you can you know you can wreck your car and get it fixed and straighten the body out and put some paint on it and it still drives but it's been wrecked i think there's it lessens it lessens the quality and the the, the holiness of of the sexual part of a marriage uh, if you if she's wondering who else has he been with uh, you know is he going to be faithful if you weren't faithful before marriage how can she trust you now after marriage I think there's always it raises all kinds of doubts. It's just not worth it. Right. Thank thank you so much for your knowledge in regards to these issues because I've been wanting to ask somebody uh older than myself about these issues for quite a while. Because a lot of the people, you know, even parents, grandparents, you know, they haven't really given me the proper response or or proper I don't know, I guess yeah, basically yeah. that on, on that issue, on that issue kind, of, kind of discourage. Discourage. No, no, I, I encourage you to maintain your current path. Uh, you can go to your honeymoon completely 100% ignorant, and you will figure things out in seconds. I've seen some extremely stupid people figure it out. I used to raise hamsters, for heaven's sake. They figured it out. So it's not complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Just relax. You'll be fine, okay? Okay. Okay, so I think that's it for now, but I'd like to thank you all for coming now. It's been a really deep and fruitful conversation. 
But before we end off, let's go off into prayer. Um, would anyone like to would anyone like to lead us out in prayer? Mm. No. I, I will. Okay. Uh, Father God, thank you for allowing us to speak with Mr. Hobbin and for him to pass down, you know, a lot of the knowledge and all just in general information that he's acquired throughout his years of study and conversations with you, Father God. And I hope that anybody who was listening to this podcast will find the answers to the questions that they've been longing for for quite a while, Father God, and that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll see the way and, and let go of all the, all the deceit that they've been that they've been thrown in regards to flat earth and, and everything of that, you know, of that manner. Lord, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey man, thanks for having me on, guys. We'll do it again sometime. Yeah, so absolutely. If you if you guys have any questions, you could leave it on my YouTube on my on the, in the YouTube comments and or on my uh, on my website faith-arts.com. And if you if you have any questions for Kent Hoven, you could leave it on his website. If you guys like to, if you guys would like to ask him any questions, you can go to his website drdino.com. Uh, and if you would like to speak to him, uh, 855 Big Dino. So, there you go. I also have a, a podcast channel of my own. It's a Protcast TV, Prot as in Prod, Protestant TV, Protcast TV on YouTube and BitChute. All right. So, thank you all for tuning in. I hope you have a blessed day. God bless. Bye. God bless. God bless.